following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. Ephesians is a little letter on, uh, if you have uh, the actual Bible on the right-hand side. Um, I'm going to make a little bit of a plea to have an actual physical Bible. I'm reading a book right now called uh, 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You. Um, And uh, it's part of our book club uh, that we do once a month. And uh, last night I was laying in bed and I got really convicted because essentially what they said is when you're in front of a screen, you have a tendency to scroll through things really, really fast because that's what you've been accustomed to. But when you have something that's actually um, like in a book format, it causes your mind to slow down and to really process what's on that page. Um, Plus, there's no notifications that pop up or anything like that. So nothing against you guys who use electronic versions of the Bible, but I don't know where you're at. But man, I tell you what, when I see, whoops, when I see uh, this sitting on my desk. It just calls to me. And uh, my Bible's very close uh, to my heart, and I, I like that it's, it's just that. It's a Bible. Amen? So uh, I make a little plea for that. If you don't have a Bible, let me know. I'll get you one. No problem. Uh, there is a phenomenon that is happening in my neighborhood. I need you to know about it. Those of you who are in the older uh, generation, you already know about this because your doctor has told you the importance of taking a walk. Amen? Okay, us in the younger generation, we're still trying to catch on to this craze. But with the warm weather that happens, I'm seeing it more and more. People just kind of come out and they just walk. They just go around my block. As a matter of fact, there's an older couple. They walk uh, in the morning, in the afternoon, and if there's time, uh, or the morning, in the evening, and if there's time, they do it in the afternoon as well. And their poor dog has legs about this tall. And they drag him or her all over the place. And uh, what I'm noticing is is it looks exhausting, but uh, I looked it up this week, and who would have thought there are so many health benefits to walking? Did you know that? I'm going to give you a couple of them right now. If you Google this, there are so many images that look pretty and make you just want to go out for a walk. So, for example, if you start walking just for 10 to 15 minutes a day, did you know that you could start to lose weight? Now, that doesn't work if you go and eat cookies after you walk. I mean, I'm, I'm just saying, like some people like to reward themselves for working hard. And what I'm realizing is that's the wrong reward, okay? You can't go and eat a tub of ice cream after you've gone on a walk, all right? Other things include healthy heart, increased self-esteem. It's amazing. Tones your muscles, especially your legs. Uh, increases your metabolism, reduces stress, improves your mood. Now, in my neck of the woods, there are a group of ladies who walk all right, we call, I call them a gang, not we, just me and my voices that live in my head. <laughs> I call them a gang because they go out at night and they um, bust the, the little high school kids who are in our neighborhood um, doing things they shouldn't be doing. So kudos to you women, you know who you are for calling the police when you walk around the block and see something disturbing. And then they all run back to the house, they're like, oh my goodness, what happened? So funny. <laughs> Other things that it does is increases your energy, decreases uh, your chance of injuries, which I don't know how that's possible because you're walking. But anyway, 
at low impact, reduces high blood pressure. Now, what I'm seeing is, especially with this uh, older couple who walks in the morning and the evenings, is it's not necessarily the walk to them, especially for the women who walk in our neighborhood. It's more the company that you keep during the walk. Amen? So what I have noticed is, especially with the older couple, if the significant other is gone, they look more miserable. Now, it's the same with running. You just look miserable when you run anyway, right? I've never seen one runner who's just... <laughs> right? It doesn't happen. Uh, running is only... Running's like hitting your head against a brick wall. It just feels good when you stop. Okay? <laughs> So what I've noticed is when one, of the, when one person is gone, um, they don't look as happy as they, they should look, right? And so what I'm seeing here is that it's not necessarily the walk. The walk definitely has health benefits. Don't get me wrong. But the company you keep, I would say, is more important than the walk itself. And when we get into Ephesians, especially chapter 2, Paul is going to outline in the first four to five verses, he's going to tell us what it is like to walk with God and the importance of our walk with God and how we grow spiritually in our walk with God. It's parallel to what Paul was saying to the Jews and the Gentiles who were gathered in the church of Ephesus. Paul was saying to the Jews and the Gentiles that their importance of their faith was not just walking with Jesus, but walking together in love with one another. When Jews and Gentiles came into a relationship with Jesus Christ, they were to walk together to evangelize or share their faith with those who are lost and also edify or build up those who are already found. Their command from Paul is the same for us. Did you know the church is the healthiest when we are united, walking together in a relationship with Jesus Christ, strengthened together, sharing our faith openly and honestly with the world who is lost, and also standing by our brothers and sisters, sharing with them what Christ is doing, has done, and will do. When this happens, when we walk together underneath that umbrella of our relationship with Jesus Christ, we become such a tight-knit family that as false doctrine creeps in, we realize it and acknowledge it as being something that's untrue. So Paul's preface for the church of Ephesus in Asia was not only that they would walk together under the umbrella of Jesus Christ, but it was also that they walked so tightly knit with him they could recognize and understand when something was coming up that was false or somebody was teaching something that was false. And in Revelation, we see that they were actually commended for this. They did this well. If you go to Revelation chapter 22, it says that the church walked together so well that they kept out all the false teachings, and the church of Ephesus is one of the few, if not the only church, that was encouraged and was praised for their walk with God. Now, if I look in the first four chapter, or first four verses in Ephesians chapter 2, I see that there's three walks with God, and we've got to look at these today. So we're going to break down essentially three walks with God, and I'm going to place them, one over here, one here, and one over here. But we're going to start all the way over here with the first walk, and before we do that, we should probably ask God to really do something here. Lord Jesus, we pray this morning together, corporately, collectively, that you be able to take this content from the Apostle Paul and your great word, the truth of the Bible, and implement it accordingly in our lives. We pray specifically that you would do some heart surgery here for us in a spiritual way, that we would empty ourselves and realize that we fall short of your standards, and there's things that need to be done here on this earth so we can honor and glorify you. God, we ask that you conform our will to your will in the, in the 
quietness of this place right here, right now, we ask specifically that you would shift our thoughts and our desires from our opinions into your truth. And that we would yield to it, pause, discipline ourselves according to what it says so that we could win a world for you and so that we could encourage each other until you come to call us home again. God, thanks so much for the work that you've been doing in my life in this past couple of weeks as we've started talking together about this passage. And now I pray that it comes out in a way that would really impact the people who are gathered here. And would you speak in ways that I can't? And would you impress truth in ways that I can't? We believe that your word is truth. We believe your son is glorified. If you believe that, say amen. 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 All right, so let's start with Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to start at verse 1. Now, Paul's going to say, and you. If you are somebody who circles or underlines or outlines things in your Bibles, you can circle that phrase, you, okay? Because he's talking to anyone? You, okay? He's talking to me. And we would put and classify this as the first walk with God. He says, and you, Jews, Gentiles, community gospel church, were dead in your trespasses and your sins. And you were dead in your trespasses and your sins. The the letter in Ephesians is written to first and foremost, the church. And so it is written for Christians, so we have to understand it in that proper context. That context is that it is written for us, and Paul is reminding us of the first walk that we had, which was a walk alone. If you're taking notes this morning, the first walk that Paul outlines is a walk alone or apart from God. Paul specifically outlines in details that you should remember the fact if you are a Christian, somebody who has confessed that they are a sinner and believed in Jesus' blood as a remission for that sins, as a forgiveness of that sins, you should remember constantly that you walked alone. You should never, ever forget that you were once lost, that you wandered away from Jesus Christ. He says, and you, there's the first one, for me and for you, were dead. You were a zombie walking around with a physical body and no purpose. Now, he gives two other statements here, which I think is interesting. He says, the first thing is, as for you, no relationship with God. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. Now, the word transgressions is interesting because what that means is that you have missed the mark or fallen short of God's standard. You slipped, you fell, if you look at it in the original language that is presented in the Greek. He says, you were walking in a way in which God wanted you to walk and you fell short of that. You slipped, you went down the hill, you ended up in the creek, and now you are lost. For all, the Bible says, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all, everyone who is sitting here in this place, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody who's outside of these walls, who is in existence, and everybody who is in the grave, has fallen short of the glory of God. But Jesus didn't stay in the grave. He rose from the grave. Amen? And so, because of these things, we know that we fell short in our sins or missed the mark. 
Now, if you were reading this and you were a Jew or a Gentile, when it said sin, you would have thought about this in archery terms. You would have thought about like a bullseye, that somebody had a mark that was set for you, and when you pulled back the arrow and you let it go, what happened was you, you missed that standard, which was perfection, the bullseye. So you slipped and fell and missed the mark. You missed the standard because of your sin. Some of us look at the word sin and we wonder, what is sin? What does that mean? James tells us what a sin is in one of the New Testament letters. He says, a sin is anything that you know is right and you don't do it. Anything that you know is right and you don't do it. So I bet you a million dollars that I could put somebody who is as atheist as they come, who is adamantly opposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if I sat them down and I said, has there ever been something in your life that you know has been right and haven't done it? Is it true? They would say, absolutely. It is something on a level playing field for humanity. We know as for us, we have sinned and fallen short of the standard which God has set. And therefore, we deserve death. Everybody starts in this walk alone. Now, I don't know how your house is set up, but here's kind of how it works in my house. We have a middle floor, and in the middle floor, um, as it gets to be nighttime, we um, keep the lights on, obviously, but then upstairs, uh, we have like uh, where all the bedrooms are and stuff like that. I'm outlining my house for you. Don't come in and do anything disastrous. So... Because I know some of you, because I talk to some of you. (laughs) So when it gets to be nighttime, what happens is we shut down the downstairs. Now, if you shut down the downstairs in the right way, what I mean is if you turn off those lights properly, you can still see the light upstairs. If you don't turn off those lights properly, you wander like a lunatic, banging your foot and your hips and everything else on every piece of furniture because you are in complete darkness. I do this all the time. I wander around in darkness when I shut down the downstairs, and I also am looking and longing for the light. And so what we see here is, what Paul is saying is it's like that. You were once in this world, and what happened is you shut off all of those lights on yourself when you fell short, and now you find yourself in a state of complete darkness, alone, he says, walking apart from a relationship with God. We have to know this bad news because it is a catalyst for us to do something else. Now, he continues. You were dead in your trespasses, excuse me, and sins, in which you, as the passage says, verse 2, once, anyone, walked or lived following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we once all lived or walked in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to place the second walk in the middle here because essentially what we have constructed is a timeline. Relationship with God, walk away from God, walk alone. For some reason, the Christian is fascinated and looks to this walk as something in which they were once a part of, even though they're in a relationship with God. 
The person who is alone has placed themselves here and continues to distance themselves from God. So the second walk that we see here is a walk that is with the world. The Christian can be guilty of this walk. The secular person can also be guilty of this walk. It is in the middle for a reason. Those of us who have chosen to walk alone away from God have chosen to walk apart from God. The heart continues to become hardened. How do I know this? Because Paul gives three character traits of what it means to be a non-Christian or unsaved. Follow along. He says, the first thing was, you followed the courses of this world. If you turned out all those lights and you find yourself alone in darkness, which all of us have at one point in our life, either we chose to remain in that darkness and follow further in the darkness, or if we found the light, what happened was, for some reason, because this flesh that hangs off us, it pulls us back here, and we are in a struggle. We'll get to that later. Let's just talk about the person here who has been in darkness and chosen to continue down that dark path. They have, as Paul says, first and foremost, become or lived like the world. Now, we're going to take a quiz here this morning, and I want you, who are Christians, to think if you fall in these categories. Those of you who are alone or away from God, you do the same thing. He says the patterns of this world. What does that mean? The patterns of this world are threefold. They're not in your outline, not in your slip, but you can write them down. First thing is, if you are like the world, you fall victim to this thing called humanism. Humanism essentially says that it is my world and not God's world, and I'm going to live the way that I want to live, not the way that God wants me to live. The person who is alone, who hardens his heart towards the truths of Scripture, has said it is my way, not God's way. And for some reason, the Christian is drawn to this as well. So, humanism says it's your way, it's your truth, it's your burger, have it your way. That's the old Burger King slogan. Humanism. Second thing, if we look at it, of what Paul says would be something that is worldly, is materialism. So not only is it my way, it's also my stuff. The person who is of the world sees things of this world as obtainments and then selfishly says, these are my things and you cannot have them. If you live like the world, it is you and you alone. It is your stuff to be used the way that you want it to. And it is what we call illicit sex or things of passionate desire that make you feel good. So when Paul says to the Ephesian church, you live like the world. Remember, it's first and foremost to the church to not live this way, to live in darkness. It is not to live for their desires. It is not to live to obtain more stuff. And it is not a life to live in which you feel good all the time. You are not called as a Christian to live like the world. You are called to live differently. Like I said, we'll get there in just a second. He says, so you once walked following the course of this world. That's an unbeliever. Number two, he says, you follow the prince and power of the air, the spirit that now is at work in the sons of disobedience. The prince and power of the air is, anyone? Satan, which is your enemy. Now, Paul says he is the prince and power of the air, which means he doesn't just physically 
exist, he also exists in realms that you cannot see. So Satan is not just at work here in this world where we can see him in the presence of evil that's been manifested for us. He is also outside of this world. He is operating in a realm, in a heavenly realm. And Paul writes specifically to the church because he wants them to know that he is everywhere and he comes to seek and destroy those who know Jesus Christ. He prowls around like a lion. We could define world. World is a system that is operated by Satan where he uses unregenerated or unsaved individuals to accomplish his work and his will. So the world we live in right now when it's used in scripture, what the author is saying is it is a system in which Satan has set up where he uses unsaved individuals to accomplish his will and his purposes. He manifests himself as an angel of light, but when we get to the reality of the situation, when we fall after humanism and consumerism and illicit sex, we realize it really falls short of God's standard. I've talked to so many people who have so many addictions, and what they have said is, I started down this path because I thought it was going to be something that was going to be beneficial for me, when in reality, after I got down the road, when the feeling wore off, it really became something that was not what it originally intended to be. That's Satan, and that's how he works in your life. He manifests things to be good for you when all of a sudden you see them for what they really are, but it's often too late. And now you cannot do it on your own strength. You have to do it on God's strength. Christian, do you live like the world operating underneath Satan's instruction and authority? That's scary. And those of you who are lost, the non-believer who wanders around in darkness, do you continue down the road of darkness because you are living like the world and operating underneath Satan's authority? The Bible specifically says if you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and you live this way, you harden your heart to the truths of Scripture and you run the risk and possibility that you will never get to a relationship with God. So, three. You walk following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that does not work, and the sons of disobedience, those who disobey, among whom we all once lived or walked. Remember your past because it is a catalyst to your future. So he says, people who walk away from God and further harden their heart. Third, live or walk in the passions of flesh, carrying out the desires of their body, of their mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So what Paul is saying is they follow their own personal desires. Christian, let me ask you a question. Do you fall in that category? Are you somebody who has understood the gospel that Jesus Christ came, died, rose again for your sins, and now you live in a walk away from the Lord because of the fact you live like the world, follow Satan, and enslaved to your own desires. I wrestled with that for three weeks now. And if we would be honest, and if Paul were here talking to us, I think the majority of the church here would say, that's me. I have followed my own opinions and my own desires. I've wanted to obtain a plethora of stuff. I've wanted to just feel good. That's me. 
And those who are lost would say the same thing. They would say, that's me too. I'm somebody who just realizes that this is about me and, and this is about obtaining as much stuff as you possibly can and I'm a slave to my own sinful desires. I'm spinning downward in the spiral of destruction. We all start here in a walk alone because of sin. We harden our heart and walk further away from God, or we see the light that is presented and want to live a different way. And so what happens and transpires is those of us who are gathered here have walked alone, walked apart from God, and we desire something else. There's got to be a better way. There has to be a better walk. There has to be a better companion. We have seen Satan for who he is, and so we wonder, is there a better way to live? And Paul would say, absolutely. He says... <clears throat> And let me read this whole thing to you again because it really picks up in four. And you were dead in the trespasses and your sins and you once walked. You followed the course of this world. You followed the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Among we all once lived that way, walking away from God in the passions of our flesh. We all carried out the desires of the body. We all submitted to the flesh, which is our mind, and we were all natural children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Verse four, but God. Now, I don't know if you heard that. Because it says, but God. In your anxiety, but God. In your depression, but God. In your addiction, but God. In your shortcomings, but God. In your lack of approval, but God. In your, in your crazy Saturday night out, but God came to your rescue. That's what he says. In all of your past that you walked alone and you walked away, God says, I want to walk with you. Look at it. But God, verse 4, being rich in his mercy because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were yet sinners and dead in our trespasses, made us alive together to walk together with Christ. I am deeply passionate about the gospel being communicated that is not being communicated in our churches today in our culture. It has to come to relationship with Jesus. I talked to somebody just the other day. I said, Jordan, do you preach anything besides the gospel? No, because it's a false doctrine. Anything outside of the gospel of Jesus Christ is false. So Paul says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive with Christ. Now let's walk through that. But God saw you in your aloneness and your walking away and said, I desire to have a relationship with you. It's nothing that you could do. It's all something that God had to do. And so he looks at you and he says, I desperately desire a relationship with you because of my mercy and my grace. So the third walk is a walk with God. And a walk with God means a walk with Christ. The church on where we stand today has to let the knowledge of God trickle down into their hearts and become the passion of their hands and their feet. We have to have the same tenacity that Christ had for us. 
It says specifically in the Bible that God being rich in his mercy, there was a storehouse that he had and was waiting to pour out upon his children. And he did that in Jesus Christ. He took mercy on you. You should be dead. You should be alone. You should be away. But God made a way through Jesus Christ because of his rich mercy and great love. Now, the word love there. If you were reading this, you would remember a conversation that took place with the disciples. There's a conversation that happened with the disciples where Jesus asked one of his disciples, he says, do you love me? And he says it three times. So he looks at him and Jesus says, "Uh, Peter, he says, do you love me? What does Peter say? Yeah, of course, right? Now, the word that is used there for love, Peter is essentially saying that I love you kind of like a buddy. You know, like essentially what he's saying is, do you love me like, 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 like a buddy? And Peter's like, yeah, of course, you know, Jesus, we're buddies, that, that works. And he's like, of course I love you. And Jesus takes it a step further and he says, no, Peter, I know you get a little ahead of yourself sometimes. Do you love me? Now he moves from the buddy to kind of like a family member. Peter says, yeah, Jesus, I love you, Absolutely. Yeah, you're, you're part of the family. We walked together for three years. Of course I love you. Like, you're like a father figure to me, right? And then he says, okay, Peter, do you love me? Now, you guys who are married know this well, right? This is when your spouse tells you for the first time that they love you. I mean, they look down and they go, you go hey, I love you. And the other person goes, whoa, uh, I think I love you too. Right? He's talking about agape love, a love that seeks the other person's best. When Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? He says, do you agape love me? Do you love me enough to seek my best? And the reason he asked Peter that is because he says, Peter, I sought your best. I sought your best when I died, when I'm about to die on the cross for your sins. I sought your best when I came to earth to walk among you. I sought your best in my great mercy for you. This is what Jesus does for us. In his great mercy, he seeks your best with a love that is never ending. And he says, you therefore in turn are to do the same. But God being rich in his mercy because of the great love in which he loved us, that agape love which seeks the other person's best, even when we were dead in our trespasses, even when we were lost, even when we were alone, even when we wandered away, he still comes and calls us to his own. That's the love that God has for you. A story is told about uh, an individual who had an accident, um, and uh, what happened was with that accident, um, a child's life was taken uh, the individual had a situation with the car, and the child's life was taken, and um, they went into the, the courtroom, and the trial happened, and uh, what, what happened was the, the law looked at him and said, you know, essentially, we don't, we don't find you at fault for this, and we're going to let you go, and the individual looked at him and says, okay, and he walked out of the courtroom. Now, has he received forgiveness? No, because the real victims are the family who's sitting there watching this thing transpire. So they're in the courtroom and they see this happen and this person gets let go and they realize, hey, it's not your fault. Now, the real forgiveness comes, are you ready for this? When they walk out of the courtroom and the family looks at the individual and says, we forgive you. 
That's true forgiveness. That's what Jesus does, being rich in his mercy towards us. Is he says, even though you have done a great amount of damage to me and to my name, I forgive you and I lavish upon you grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Not only do I forgive you, but I will show you how to live and I will show you how to walk. I will show you the truths that nobody else can show you and I will never manifest myself in an improper way. I will always show you the reality of who I am. That's what God does for us. For God so loved, agape loved, sought our best, that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, that whosoever would believe would not perish but have everlasting life. That's the walk that he desires us to have. And so my question is, because I missed it, sorry, Jeff, how do I fight this sin that so easily entangles me? So if I'm here and I've accepted the fact that I have a relationship with Jesus, okay, and I understand that I'm here, why am I drawn, ready for this church, to this walk away from God? Paul specifically says you have flesh that hangs on you. Your soul is regenerated and new, but this flesh hangs on you like a curse, and we're constantly being pushed back into the middle of this worldliness, of this desire. How do I get past that? I don't want to live here. I don't, definitely don't want to live here. I want to live in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. How do I do it? You have to, have to, have to engage in a battle against the flesh. Every morning you wake up has to be a war that you don't fight fair with. So many of us struggle because what happens is we get here, we become Christians, and now we have this flesh that is used to living the old life, and so we're drawn back here, and there has to be a war that is waged and say, I will not go back to the life I once knew. I will stay in the life and in the grace and the mercy which I now know. Too many of us are passive with our Christian faith. Paul, if he were standing here today, he would say, wage war against the enemy. We're just talking about this in Sunday school this morning. When you read your Bible, when you spend time in prayer, you are essentially allowing God to put another bullet in the magazine or in the chamber of your gun. You're essentially asking God to resharpen the sword that is in your hands. Because there will come a time when you will have problems and you will have trials and you will have tribulations and you need to engage in that war. And so many times people look at me and they say, Jordan, I wasn't ready for this in my life because you weren't prepared and waking up every morning saying, now is the time in which I will fight the enemy. It is a struggle every day for me to get into my word, to spend time in prayer, to just meditate on the truths of the Bible. It is a struggle for you. But God in his richness and his great mercy made a way for you to be able to do that because as Proverbs says, you don't lean on your own understanding, you lean on the Lord's understanding and you ask him for help and assistance. Your first practice is always prayer. You say, God, help me engage in the old man. It's me versus the old man every day until God comes and calls me home and pulls this flesh off my body that easily entangles me. It is war. The question I have for you this morning is, are you at war with yourself? Do you wake up in the morning and say, it is me against me and I'm ready to do battle? It's not me that I'm going to honor today. I'm going to honor the Lord and his ways and his truth. Engage in the battle against the flesh. Number two, 
when we're engaged, what happens is so many of us fall short. And man, I'm telling you, I'm in your boat here. And what happens is when we fall, for some reason, we just go right back here to this place. You need to understand in your battles that you fight, when you stumble, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If there's one thing I could do to build up the church, it would be to use Paul's letter that says, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. With it being Memorial Day, I was talking to a guy, that was a couple years ago, he's fighting in Vietnam. And I said, tell me something about Vietnam. Like, tell me, and, and, and you gotta be real careful with veterans because they don't like to talk about this a whole lot. And I said, tell me something, like, like, just give me something of what you used. You know, when you were on the battlefield, what does that look like for you? He says, you know, I watched my friends drop left and right around me. What I realized was we had to keep going and gaining ground against the enemy. And when we gained ground, what I had to remember was you could still fight wounded. I paused for a second. I was like, wait, what? Run that back for me. He says, you can still fight wounded. He said, you'd be amazed at how many guys chose to stay in the fight even though they had wounds inflicted upon them. You who are in a relationship with Christ Jesus understand that majority of us in this room are wounded soldiers fighting against ourselves and the enemy who so easily entangles us have to accept that there is no condemnation for your faults and your shortcomings because they have been covered in God's richness of his mercy and grace in Christ Jesus. So when you wake up tomorrow and you look in the mirror and you think to yourself, I'm not worth it, I'm not worthy, I'm not acceptable, I've stumbled, you write with a bar of soap, but God on your mirror. You might be that person, but God, because of his richness of mercy with us and the relationship that we have in Jesus Christ offers us forgiveness and no condemnation and makes us able to continue the fight. Where are you? Let me just ask you this really openly this morning. Where are you as you're here this morning? Are you over here? Are you somebody who's walking alone and have no idea what it means to know Jesus Christ? If that's you and you're here this morning, we're going to sing a song in just a second. If you have no idea what it means to follow Christ, come up, tap me on the shoulder, be like, Jordan, I have no idea what you're talking about. Let me explain it to you. I'd love to share you with you the gospel and what it means. You can make the best decision that you've ever made in your whole entire life. If you're here and you're walking away from God and you, you don't know him, you need to know him. And for the Christian, those of us who are in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you need to understand that the battle is worth fighting and that there's no condemnation in Jesus Christ, and that the war against the flesh can be won because of God and because of what he did for us with his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. Let me pray for you. Lord, um, we're just starting this passage that Paul has, has brought to our attention. There's so much further that we need to go with it. And so we just kind of introduce it this morning and we lay it out there and we understand that there's, there's walks that all of us have. We understand that we were alone, we were, we were walking away from you and that we were far from you. And those who are far from you this morning, I pray that their hearts would be softened in a way where they would have the ability to come into a relationship with you, that they would confess and believe that you are the Messiah that you're 
the living God. And those of us who know you and have, have acknowledged that we're sinners and understand that we fall short of your glory and know that your blood on the cross covers our sin, we know that we are engaged in this, in this war right now. That Satan has come and he is proud around our lives like a lion seeking to destroy. And we have fallen for his traps and we have submitted ourselves to the enemy. And my prayer for the church here this morning, for you, Christian, for me as well, is that you would just take a moment and ask God to help you in the fight against the enemy. That those of you who know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you would just take one moment and say, God, would you help me fight humanism, consumerism, the feelings that this life should just be happy. To fight worldliness and to fight all of the things that easily entangle and ensnare us. If you're serious about it, say, Lord Jesus, come and, and fight this battle with me. And the Bible tells us that he will. That he is our soldier on the front lines. Ask God to help you be disciplined in the study of his word and spending time in prayer. Ask God to help you in the areas of your own weakness. May your first resort be prayer. God, may that be our first resort as a church. Give us the ability to submit ourselves to you and to your word and to your truth. God, help us to know that while we may have fallen and stumbled, that there is no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus. Would you lift the spirits of some people who are here who think that that fight is not worth it? Would you enable them to realize that they are forgiven underneath of your blood? The people who are struggling the most, would you impress that truth on their heart? Would they leave with that one thing to know that there is forgiveness and no condemnation and that they can fight as wounded soldiers? God, if anybody's far from you here today and desires to know you as Lord and Savior, may they make that commitment today. We love you, Jesus. We love your word and we love your church. Help us to remember these truths and implement them accordingly in the days to come. In your name we pray. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab. 